This week on the Saber.com podcast, the tech two-step resulted in one step forward and one step back for the Who's. We take a closer look, plus a quick take on what we learned from the new coordinators for UVA football. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, the Saber.com. And here we go with another edition of the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by editor Chris Wright and associate editor Chris Horn as we uh, Zoom together pretty much weekly and discuss thing, all things who's mostly basketball this time of year, but we got a little bit of football news for you. As we've heard from both of the uh, coordinators under coach Tony Elliott in recent days. So we'll break that down for you. But first guys, I'm in kind of a surly mood. We were giddy last time we got together after the uh, Duke win, but this uh, Super Monday or whatever they call it now, Big Monday, I guess, is what it still is for ESPN. It, it didn't turn out in uh, the Who's favor. Tough loss in Blacksburg. What were your guys' initial thoughts? I uh, made kind of a list here of the the blame. There was plenty of blame to go around, basically. <laughs> so we can get into that as we go along. But uh, Chris Wright, I'll throw it to you first. As sometimes we go back and forth, was it the offense? Was it the defense? seemed to me like it was a little bit everything uh, with this visit to Blacksburg this time around. And it, and it usually is. Every once in a while, it's one glaring thing, right? But the way Tech started the second half offensively, that was a defensive problem. You know, Virginia was not just not on point. You know, Tech uh, beat them a bunch of times with varying concepts that created either cuts or, or back doors into space. And Virginia's rotations just were not there or not tall enough or not whatever to deal with a Luma flying through the air for dunks. So that was the start of the second half. But the offense as a whole, the second half also contributed. It wasn't just the defense, right? So there were some key turnovers in that early second half stretch. Uh, lots of missed shots. Couldn't shoot from the perimeter at all. Kihei was just off. You know, Armand only had a couple of good looks. Uh, Reese made one long two-pointer that I recall, but I don't know that he had any other great looks. You know, Virginia Tech was trying to take away the blocker mover stuff. So was was really physical on off-ball cutters. That's a typical strategy. We've seen that over the years where off-ball freedom of movement is not judged the same way as on-ball freedom of movement. Um, that's not saying that the officiating costs Virginia the game. I know that's a lot of that on the message boards. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the way games are officiated, they protect dribblers more than they protect cutters. That's just basketball in general, it seems like, at the college level to me. But with Tech doing that, Virginia had to, to counter in some way, and it took them a little while to do that. So eventually they did go to some side-to-side -side ball screen type stuff, and that's when Shedrick got going with those alley-oops and uh, pocket passes and things like that. But it took a while for that adjustment to come, and at that point just weren't quite right. So they spent most of the half arms length away, kind of sort of in the game, <laughs> um, but never could quite really get back into it. And kind of feels like Blacksburg trips in, in general to me. You know, even the best teams that Justin Anderson had to fuel a, com a comeback. He had the the game where the ball got stuck on the rim with Parentes. Like they're just, you know, Kihei had a three-pointer to win there at, at one point late. It doesn't seem to matter how good Virginia's team is, what kind of role they're on, what it has Virginia Tech. Like, this just – I think they play worse in Blacksburg than they do in Cameron, for example. I, I just – there's something about down there that they just don't function quite as well as they do in some other road venues. Yeah, Shedrick had quite a second half. Gardner had quite a first half. Uh, you know, looking at the stats afterwards, I was a little surprised. Chris Horn, you know, UVA basically scored one less point. We had uh, 54 in the two-point win at JPJ a few weeks ago, and this was a 62-53 final. 
a lot of the stats were basically the same as the last matchup. So I was trying to figure out what was different. And it kind of came down to their bench had nine points. I kind of count Kafaro and Shedrick as one guy <laughs> when I look at the box score. So if you, if you count them as one, the, as like our five position, right? The front court and back court points were basically the same. And then they got nine from their, uh, a few bench guys that didn't give them any production when they played here. So that was part of it. But like I said, plenty of, plenty of blame to go around, uh, you know, in terms of offense, tough to win a game when you're only scoring 53 points. Mm-hmm. But Tech has played some solid defense here a few games in a row, but, you know, they gave up 71 to Pitt, 72 to Florida State, 78 to Miami and UNC. They lost to BC, gave them 68 points. So it's not like they're this defensive juggernaut. It was obviously an intimidating environment there to play in. But, mm-hmm. you know, what, what did you make of the various issues that they faced throughout the game there? Because, you know, we're up at half, 29-25. You can't do much better than that defensively, holding right. a team to 25, even with all those backdoor cuts they were getting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um... – I mean, give credit to Virginia Tech for an, an intense start to the, the first 10 minutes, especially of the second half. Uh, they came out, played really physical, uh, obviously helped by the crowd. I mean, I think that it was a tough, um, uh, you know, tough environment to play in. And so they came out really tough and physical brand of basketball. It kind of reminded me a little bit of back when UVA played Michigan State um, in the Sweet 16, when UVA in that second half against Michigan State came out and played really physical defense um, and, and surged to a lead, um, kind of a similar score, I think, as well. But, you know, so I'll, I'll give uh, Virginia Tech some, 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 certainly some credit there um, and, 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 uh, and taking it to Virginia. And then Virginia kind of not responding initially. Not, I think Virginia needed to come out more intense, more sharp, ready for that, rather than kind of – I think Virginia did respond, but rather than um, – kind of taking a few punches before responding, which is what they did. I mean, they had the three block sequence in one possession where Virginia Tech had three, yeah, had three blocks and a, um, and I think it was a shot clock violation, which really got the crowd going. Uh, Kihei Clark blocked by, you know, the Virginia Tech small guard, uh, Padula, um, got the crowd going. So, you know, it, it started there, I think, Virginia Tech in terms of the defense, but also coupled with, um, as Chris mentioned, like the easy baskets and UVA kind of seemed like I think there were maybe four or five times and I, that may be lowballing it, but like where Virginia Tech was able to cut to the basket and get an easy basket. Um, and Virginia seemed like they were just not aware or whatever you want to call it, but it was just like a super easy, easy basket. I thought Virginia played pretty good defense for the most part, especially getting getting out and, and uh, you know, that I think that fared well about in terms of uh, defending the three. Aluma is a special player. Obviously, he has he likes playing in Virginia. I mean, he's got he yes. had 29 points uh, last year and last year's win in Blacksburg. He had uh, I think 22 points in Charlottesville this year. Um, he's just a tough guy. I mean, he's a t- tough guy for anybody to handle. He's a good defender. Uh, he can do multiple things really well. Uh, Mutz, I think, was the difference in the game this this time. I think uh, he wa- he wasn't really a factor. I don't believe in Charlottesville. But um, in terms of this game, he was six of six free throws, um, made some made some uh, uh, big time big free throws to help kind of separate. I think had the really nice pass uh, late in the game. I think Virginia was down by four and uh, it was getting late in the shot clock. You know, Jaden, who uh, yeah, Jaden has be- become a really really good defender. I mean, it's been really cool to watch him 
uh, work uh, his tail off to become a, a really good defender this year. But he ran out, Mutz drove right, drove past him, had a nice dish to Aluma, who um, I believe dunked it home to kind of keep the put the lead back at six uh, late in the game. So you know that play. Um, you know, Aluma's turnaround jump shot with with uh, what one second on the shot clock uh, to put it to put the game pretty much out of reach at eight points with uh, with about a minute left. You know, uh, Aline, uh, Allen or Aline from from Virginia Tech when it was I believe 40, uh, 44 or forty six forty four. He hit a three off of a, and that's coming off of a Jaden Gardner turnover uh, to put Virginia Tech up 49-44 to create a little bit of breathing room as well there. So those are kind of three plays where. Virginia Tech just made the plays when they had to to create whether it was to create separation to kind of put the game away a little bit, uh, whatever you want to call it. That really so they made the plays down the stretch and and Virginia did uh, you know frankly didn't I feel like Virginia did kind of weather the storm though um, again that first ten minutes Virginia Tech came out played really intense uh, physical but even with the crowd it's tough to keep that going for an entire half. And so I think Virginia was able to weather the storm. It kind of felt like Virginia was down 15 points, yeah. but they were, <laughs> it, was, it was only like five. And then they got it, you know, when, when Reese had his dunk on a Oh man, that was that. so awesome. That was sweet. Uh, when he had that 42 all, and then, you know, Shedrick had, had the really nice alley-oop play uh, to make it 44 all, you know, Virginia, I think was in a pretty good position there again, because I think they had kind of weathered the storm but again, what you know, unfortunately, down the stretch, they they made only five of fourteen shots, just could not get anything going. Like they had some open threes that they missed, and and just couldn't you know couldn't make the buckets when they needed to, and then had some had some key turnovers, and yeah, some some uh, unfortunately some uh, uh, refereeing not going not going in the Cavaliers' way uh, toward the end of the game, uh, and that kind of really swung the tide. I mean, Virginia Tech had. 13 free throws, I believe, in the final eight minutes. And four of those free throws were in the final minute. So it was not like Virginia was fouling them uh, with, you know, fouled them nine times in the last minute just to right. extend the game. Um, so Virginia Tech had some, had some, had the benefit of some uh, home cooking calls. But again, uh, that that's not to say that the, that really cost Virginia the game. I feel like Virginia uh, had some chances to, to do something and they just couldn't you know, whenever it was, couldn't make the play. And as far as Kihei, that's, you know, I, you know, I was wondering if he was, wasn't feeling well or something like that because he, you know, he came out and he's had, you know, obviously he had the game winning three in Blacksburg. So you would think he's had some good experiences there, even with the crowd going crazy. So you would think, I read some articles saying that, you know, intimated that maybe he was intimidated by the crowd, but again, he's had, he's, he's had a game winning three with the crowd there going crazy. Um, so it kind of seemed to me that he just wasn't right. And I don't know what, what, what the cause was. I've airballed the three footed to start the game. Of course, that was a great shot. I mean, right there at the basket, but, uh, you know, but he just didn't seem to me to be right as far even defensively, he wasn't his normal super pesky quick self. I feel like until, you know, maybe the last five to seven minutes or so, then I feel like he was kind of getting, like maybe getting his feet under him, but yes, yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what was going on there. And then, yeah, unfortunately, Virginia uh, just couldn't make any threes, and, and you know uh, Armand couldn't uh, couldn't get any threes to go down. So um, it was it was it was a it was a tough second half uh, for sure. But hopefully they can hopefully they can come back uh, against Miami and 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 get back on the track of uh, of playing pretty well. Confidence is a fickle thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like shooting the basketball is so tricky. 
like when it's going in it's you're walking on you know you're walking on cloud nine you <laughs> singing in the rain you know whatever but when you're missing it's like oh my gosh uh, will i ever make another shot it is <laughs> right. really easy to get caught up in the swings of, of shooting the basketball and to me that's looked like that's what it looked like with Kihei. Now, if you want to, you know, credit the crowd for uh, impacting that confidence level, I, I guess you can credit them if you want. But it, shooting alone in a gym, and I've done it my entire life, sometimes you just cannot make the stupid ball go in the basket and it can spiral on you. And it looked like it spiraled to me on Kihei a little bit. Like he just yeah. wasn't quite in the type of rhythm that it typically looks like when a shooter feels confident. It looked a little bit clunky for lack of better words well and you know specifically with Kihei I, I look back at that the first game versus Tech this year he had six points and one assist in this game two points two assists four fouls and I was like that seems kind of weird you know I, I, let me look back and see how many times he's had that many fouls well the BC game he had four fouls no assists but he scored 19 in that one <laughs> so that was all right and then Wake and Notre Dame are the only two other games that he has even had three fouls in a game. And obviously we lost both of those two. So, you know, three out of those four times when Kia gets in foul trouble, so to speak, it, it doesn't bode well for the who's, you know, we need him out there as kind of our floor general, but, you know, like you were saying, Chris Horn on the, the defensive end tech five of 20. I mean, they're a good three point shooting team. They were five of 20. They made seven of 20. At, at JPJ, they famously missed those two kind of wide open looks there at the end that could have won them the game. But, you know, Aluma is interesting. He, he scored 20 or more eight times this year out of 26 games. Two of those eight times have been against UVA, but two of his last six, he had six points against uh, Pitt and four points against Florida State. So he can be held in check, I guess. But if you look at those two games, that was because they didn't need Aluma because they were bombing away from three. They made 14 threes against Pitt, 18 threes against Florida State. Mm -hmm. So credit to UVA's three-point defense, but were we maybe a little too focused on that and we didn't have kind of plan B for, for Aluma or we just said, hey, Aluma's going to go off and we need to hold everybody else in check and it just kind of got away from us there at the end because, like you said, that Beekman dunk, we were tied like eight minutes left. It was a tie game. So uh, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah. I mean, I just think um, uh, again, it comes down, it came down and, and uh, coach Bennett mentioned that just, it, it was a possession game and UVA just had too many bad possessions in the second half, whether it was turnovers and, and kind of silly turnout. Like I feel like uh, Jaden uh, as good of a first half as he had, I thought he really forced some things in the second half where he really didn't have to, like he had some, single uh, uh, single matchups with Mutz, who was playing physical. I, again, I'll give him credit. He was playing uh, uh, Jaden more physical, and he's got the height advantage, and he's he's long. But sometimes, yeah, I think Jaden tried, like, like ultra-quick spin move or something like that instead of just kind of taking his time, um, like he did later on. Like, he had a, a left-handed jump hook, I think, to get it within four. You know, he had, had good position where I think if he just takes his time, um, then he can kind of push him under the basket and then, and then, and then, and then make it. So I think he felt, I don't know if he was, I was, I was kind of wondering if maybe he was a little tired. I mean, you look at, um, four of the five starters played all 20 minutes in the second half and, uh, it was again, physical, tough game. Um, you wonder if that kind of maybe wore down, you know, Virginia and kind of impacted the offensive end, 
But um, uh, but yeah, I thought I thought Jaden and again three turnovers in the second half. Um, you know, the, the, those were costly uh, for, uh, from him. And then, you know, Virginia, when they did get open threes, uh, open looks, they, they weren't able to cash in, unfortunately. And then, you know, when, when the time came for, you know, Virginia Tech to, to make a play, they did. And I think it was kind of just as simple as that. Like, um, uh, yeah, Aline from, uh, from Tech, again, that big three to put them up 49-44 to get a little bit of breathing room, put a little bit of extra pressure on Virginia. Um, and then Virginia, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, Franklin missed a couple of free throws, I think, in the second half. Uh, Shedrick was one of two. You know, it's only three points, but every point matters in a game kind of like that. That's going to be a really, uh, you know, close game coming down to the wire. And unfortunately, just, you know, Tech was able to kind of pull away because they were able to make the free throws that they had and they were able to take advantage of whatever opportunities that they had, whereas Virginia was not. I do think Virginia got caught up chasing three-point stuff. You know, five for 20 is, is good three-point defense, no question about it. And for the most part, that that kind of stat has been critical to Virginia's outcomes mm-hmm. this year. So I understand why they're trying to take away the three, but it did feel like the gravity caused uh, by some of the actions to try to get those shooters open created all kinds of problems behind it with rotations. And, and honestly, the passers didn't look that bothered. So sometimes Virginia will, will bother, you know, ball screens or – handoffs or pin downs or whatever the other team is doing chasing a three-point shooter uh, strategy wise but they'll do a good job bothering the passes coming back the passes were so quick and direct out of the the three-point chasing that there was no chance very often for rotations or scramble defense or that sort of thing so to me that's where i would say yes they got a little too caught up chasing um, because they couldn't cleanly prevent the next action you know what I mean? And that is something that, that they get a little bit underrated on, I think. So people will often say, why does Virginia hedge all the way to half court, you know, on ball screens, just for example, and why don't other teams just throw it to that guy? And I'm like, well, they would, if they could, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> Virginia does a really good job of, you know, hands up deflections, taking away vision, you know, with that hedge defense a lot and taking away vision and deflections were not something that was happening against a lot of these actions that Virginia Tech was running. And it wasn't pure ball screen, so it's not the same thing as describing the hedge defense, but it's the same kind of concept that I think Virginia was great at. Um, Virginia Tech, 58% of your roundup from two, which feels a lot like the NC State game on the road, where the second half, shooting-wise, NC State seemed to just get whatever twos they wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, they obviously had a hot shooting three-point first half in, in the NC State game. You know, it is a little bit of pick your poison when there's some shooters out there and you've got a Luma and Mutz who can both move, yeah. right? So it's not like a, a stationary rotation. Those guys, those guys are on the move when you're trying to recover. So, yeah, I thought Tech had a pretty decent scheme, pretty uh, decent plan, and I think Virginia got caught up and not quite good enough at the point of attack, which then led to no chance for rotations. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, Chris Wright, in terms of – you know, it seemed like tech on offense was spreading us out a little bit and trying to mess with the pack line and, and bring everybody out. And we had to go out with those guys because pretty much all five of those guys can shoot threes when they need to. But on our offensive end, what is a concept that we could do? Or is it just uh, in one guy's mentality where Beekman, it seems to me Beekman can get by whoever they ever put on him. Doesn't matter what team, doesn't matter who it is. He can get to the basket. He has 
a great knack for that. And I think everybody, you know, at least in our house was surprised when he threw actually threw that one down and didn't just try to lay it up. Um, you know, he's had a little trouble finishing this year. It seems like when he gets those uh, shots at the rim, but man, that sometimes that's been a good offense for us when he does miss. Cause then Gardner or Shedrick is on the other side, boom, puts it right back up and in. Is there a way that we could make Beekman more of a focal point offensively if we, but that means we'd have to bring guys out, right. To make more room for him to maneuver down the lane. And that kind of goes against every concept that Bennett has ever employed with the, with the bigs. Yeah. It's all personnel driven, right? So if they could spread the floor for him to do his thing easily, they would, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. C Ty Jerome. (laughs) That's all I have to say is C Ty Jerome. That entire late 2019, they constantly, put him in situations where he could use space created by Hunter and Guy. If Hunter and Guy were playing with Beekman, he would have all kinds of space. <laughs> <laughs> He's not, right? So you know, Franklin has not been the three-point shooter that they had hoped or that he was last year at Indiana. Gardner's range is somewhat limited. Shedrick's range, uh, Kafaro's range, limited. So that puts a lot of stress on Kihei to be the floor spacer, which he does a pretty good job of a lot of games. This mm-hmm. game, that was not true. So yes, Beekman can beat his anytime he wants, but then there's the matter of what's behind that, right? I, I would argue that most division one guards can probably beat their guy whenever they want. Maybe not a hundred percent, but I would, I would take majority, hmm. majority of D one guards, 50, 55, 60% and up can probably beat their guy when they want. So the question is what's behind it? You know, what's the, where's the space? Where's the, his, his field goal percentage at the rim is up this year. It's down a little bit these last couple of games, but it's way up from last year. It's up by like eight, nine, 10% or something like that from a year ago, finishing at the rim. So that is something that Beatman is doing better. They are doing some things to help with that. There was a possession late in the Duke game, for example, where they ran an action away to occupy help and he refused a ball screen and went into the space. So they do do things to try to create that. Um, the other teams are trying to prevent it. So, you know, there's always that chess match that goes on. Yeah. Georgia Tech, you know, we haven't talked about at all about Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech takes the space away by playing that kind of hybrid matchup zone thing they were doing. Yeah. Um, so he had a hard time getting into space in that game too. But, yeah, there's this constant kind of tug of war going, and Virginia doesn't have enough floor spacing to make anyone comfortable, whether that's Beekman or Gardner in the post, which you saw all the way back in the JMU game. You're right. They just would not let him play in the post, and Virginia yeah. couldn't space it out. You know, and there's there's where the 3M's argument lives on the message board. We'll play one of the three-point shooters. Well, I mean, I'm sure if they could shoot that well, they would be on the floor, right? But, you know, I tell my kids all the time, uh, only one out of 10 people on the floor can shoot the ball at any given time. (laughs) So you have to be able to do something else. (laughs) Well, and going back, guys, to that first matchup at JPJ, Kafaro, that was kind of his breakout moment off the bench, had 16 points. Shedrick had no points in that first game. Gardner only had four. It was almost the flip of that this time where uh, Kafaro had four, Gardner had 17, Shedrick had 11 this time. And if you look at the front court difference, Franklin and Clark had 21 combined. The first game, only 11. The second game, and I know Chris Wright uh, just talking about what did Tech do differently on, on Franklin or did he was he maybe not as aggressive? I don't know if it was differently. I, I think it's it seems to me like teams – in the ACC have been willing to live with Gardner doing whatever Gardner does, but they want to take away Kihei and Armand. If you take away 
Armand's mid-range game and you take away Kihei's, you know, set feet shots, he's pretty good when his feet are set. Where does Virginia get backcourt production from if you take those two things out of the equation? So, you know, if Gardner goes crazy, he had 26 against Georgia Tech, was going crazy, but the zone really, like, bottled up everyone else. You know, you're talking about playing physically off the ball, preventing cuts, all that sort of stuff that we mentioned earlier. You know, they were preventing Armand from running off the screen. That's what Virginia Tech was doing. So, you know, when you deny the path for someone to use a screen, they call that icing, ice the screen. That's basically what they were doing with Franklin. That wasn't pure ice coverage, but it was, hey, you're not going off of the screen this direction. You're going to have to go the other way. And some other teams have done that this year as well. And Virginia would come out the other side. But even that wasn't working that well in this particular game because this, the movement wasn't very free on, on some of those cuts. So if he can't come off of screens, how does Armand get his offense going? You know what I mean? Because he's pretty good mm-hmm. curling, catching off a screen, dribble motion into the high you know, free throw area or runner or the, the, the types of shots we've seen him get. And he had several of those early in this game. You know, he had a couple in the first half that I'm recalling off the top of my head where he did do that. But then Virginia Tech said no more of that. So he's, what, four of 11 in this game for nine points. He's your second leading scorer on the season. You know, teams are are tagging him. You know, he's a marked man, as Coach Bennett would like to say. So when you prevent him from running off screens, what's your other answer for him? How can you get him open if you can't run him through the sides motion stuff? You know, or do you go away from him for a while and hope that when you come back, you know, they're not as focused on it or whatever. And I think we saw a little bit of that last night, and that's when Shedrick got going. You know, Gardner was going with the mid-range stuff uh, earlier in the game. But that's a que- that's an open question as we go down the stretch here because Virginia has no margin of error. You know what I mean? Like they need to pick up marquee wins, and they really can't afford to lose to Florida State at home or Louisville on the road in terms of the metrics. So yep. all of those teams have the ability to really try to prevent Franklin from using screens. If they do that, what's your counter? What's your counter? And that's something that I'm sure Virginia will be visiting with multiple days here before the Miami game. You know, Miami scrambles and does different things than, than the way Tech was guarding it. But Miami certainly has the athletes on the wing to try that approach or something similar to that approach if they want to. Something I noticed, guys, at some point about halfway through the season, I guess, it almost seemed like Franklin was taking almost a full step back from where he had been shooting his threes. And they, that's when they started to fall a little bit more regularly. It seemed like to me it was probably just perception. I don't know if the metrics – or, you know, next-gen stats bear that out. But just from a watching the game's perspective, it seemed like, oh, well, that's all he needed to do was just scoop back a little bit. And, and that also serves to stretch the defense. Uh, he didn't seem to get many of those looks in the, in the Tech game, obviously. But, you know, Chris Horn, what, what's your perspective on, uh, on Franklin and maybe some of those in-game adjustments? Is that where Beekman needs to take a little more control of the offensive end? Well, I mean, I think just Virginia's lack of three-point shooting hurts there as well because if they had multiple guys who could stretch out from beyond the three, that would open up things for for Beekman. You know, Franklin likes his mid is obviously super confident with it and and really good when he can get to a spot with his mid mid-range game uh, and even to a small a smaller extent as far as driving to the basket. Um, and Beekman obviously is phenomenal with that as well. But when you when you don't have and, you know, kind of conversely from what we saw last year, when you don't have guys like Hauser and Murphy who are kind of bigger guys who can then step out and drain threes, 
then uh, it's, it, I think it makes it easier for the defense to clog things up. So it will be interesting to see how they, uh, how Virginia kind of, kind of counters that moving forward. But yeah, I mean, uh, that's <laughs> obviously is, is, you know, we saw, you know, Virginia have a lot of problems uh, in the second half against Georgia Tech. And then, uh, and then, you know, uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech gave um, you know, UVA some, some issues with that as well. So yeah, I mean, it kind of felt like what I felt like after the Virginia Tech game was that the UVA backcourt really just didn't have much of a, I mean, Reese Bigman obviously had his moments and scored 10 points, but it just didn't feel like that they had much of a say in the game, really. Well, and we mentioned earlier, you know, Tech was 5 of 20 on threes. UVA was 0 of 9, really only made three threes the first matchup. But, you know, when you're losing the three-point battle, you're losing the free throw battle, there were eight more fouls called on Virginia at Tech than there were at JPJ. And, you know, a few of those were late, like we talked about when you, you had to foul, but Turnover battle, you lost that one too. Uh, UVA had four less turnovers the first game. Tech had 12, UVA had eight. But second go round, Tech only had six, UVA had 10. So, you know, like I said, plenty of, uh, plenty of issues to go around in terms of this one particular game. And, you know, free throws, I've got some more specific stats that we can do at the end, but in terms of the last few years uh, between Tech and uh, the Hoos, but 16-point swing where UVA made eight more free throws than they did at JPJ. It was 11 to three, but then go down to Blacksburg and Tech makes eight more, 17 makes versus nine makes for, uh, for UVA. So hard to kind of overcome all of those different deficits in terms of turnovers, free throws, threes. And at the same time, you're right there. <laughs> as poorly in a lot of ways as UVA played, still a lot of good things to take from this in terms of being tied with eight minutes left, Beekman, that strong drive and dunk to the basket, you know, uh, Gardner with the strong first half, Shedrick with the strong second half. And there were, I mean, this thing was rolling, you know, the, what was it, four game winning streak coming in. And uh, I know Chris Wright, you want to talk about the Georgia Tech game too. I mean, that was a 10 point win. Tech has had a, a down year this year, three and 10 now in the conference, but, you know, they throw a whole bunch of stuff at you in terms of, zone concepts and you know their coach is, is kind of a an interesting character with the mutton chops over there on the sideline trying to bring that look back I guess but uh, what did you see from from tech uh this time and you know that was a hard-fought game yeah that was a game Virginia couldn't afford to to drop in terms of it's going to be similar to Florida State game at home in terms of the metrics right so Virginia is outside looking in in terms of the NCAA tournament but also you know, let's say that they don't get in, where would they play in the NIT? Would they, you know, if there are a lot of bid stealers, you know, so they're, they're flirting with, you know, being a, a low seed in the NIT if, if, if they lose certain games as well. So the Georgia Tech game was, was huge in that sense, that they had to have that home win, and it did continue the momentum. Obviously, Virginia Tech also hot right now. Regardless of who they played, they won a bunch of games in a row. So and this was a game they could not afford to lose. That would have been a quad three loss for them. It was a game they could not afford to lose, whereas Virginia it was an opportunity to improve the resume. And I, I think that factors in quite a bit in, in, in that Monday night quick turnaround. But the Georgia Tech game at home, you know, Virginia came out and played really well early. And then, you know, Georgia Tech slowly got all the way back into it where they got it all the way down to two. And then Kihei made some clutch shots. 
um, against that zone later. Now that was inside out. I think one was from Gardner and one was Beatman driving baseline and then Kihei filling in behind him. And so the pass back comes to him. Both of those are created by touching inside first, but I thought they did a mostly a good job for at least half, maybe a little more than half dealing with what Georgia Tech throws at you, which is some sort of one, one, three, one, three, one hybrid sort of zone. You know, it depends on what rotations they're using. The dead giveaway, if people are going to try to identify it themselves, is what does the person standing on the free throw line do when the ball moves? In a one three one, that person doesn't go anywhere. In a one one three, they often leave the free throw area and go somewhere else. So that's one way, kind of a little cheat sheet that you can use at home, just tell the difference when teams are, are playing one or the other. But early in the game, Virginia could get the ball behind it. You know, Jaden Garber was hitting a couple baseline jumpers, yeah, he had a couple on kind of the high post area too, but later they just couldn't seem to get the ball behind it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It seemed that the ball was stuck above, you know, like the free throw line for much of the second half and they were in a little bit of a rut for a while. So that's kind of been the story of the season, right? In a rut for a while. <laughs> it kind yeah. of describes the the offense all season long. The question is, does it cost you the game or not? And Virginia's defense is not good enough, consistently enough to cover for it. So it really does come down to how bad is that rut? It was pretty bad at the start of the second half in Blacksburg. It was pretty bad at the start of the second half against Georgia Tech. One game they pulled out, one game they didn't. But that's kind of the the fire they're playing with in a way, is if you have a, a rut, rut sort of deal on offense, are you quite good enough to overcome it or not? That's what we're talking about when we say thin margin. This team doesn't have any kind of trump card to override it, right? Some teams have that three-point shot to override it. That's Virginia Tech in a way. Some teams have that elite defense to override it. That's two years ago, Virginia. This team doesn't have a trump card. You know what I mean? They, they just have to figure out a way. And sometimes the stats don't back it up. So like you, if you, you point out the rebounding and uh, three-point defense at Tech pregame, you would go, oh yeah, they had a good chance. Right. But the, the margin is so, so thin with, with what the offense is this year that that may not be good enough. So can you survive the rut enough to win? is the theme of the season to me. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing. Um, Jaden Gardner, his experience at ECU was being the guy <laughs> before he got, got here because there's a lot of pressure on him to perform at a really high level. And we saw in the first half against Virginia Tech, 15 points, you know, uh, uh, or 14 points and um, Virginia w- w- was leading and then didn't play, didn't play as well in the second half and UVA winds up losing. So UVA has got to have – yeah, we saw Kihei, Kihei step forward. Uh, but, the, I mean, the, again, I mean, we've been talking about this all season, so it's obviously going to be inconsistent. But if they – I mean, what they need to have in order to close out strong is consistent play from the backcourt, impactful play uh, from, from the perimeter offensively I'm talking about. And um, where is that going to come from? I'm not sure. I mean, um, you know, if – you know, outside of the starters – you know, Statman, we've seen him. He comes in, he's he's coming, he's made a few plays, but nothing where it's consistent that he's coming in and, and really providing a definitive uh, instant impact every game. Malachi Poindexter, I understand going to him because he's, he's, he's a good athlete and he can play uh, defense, but I think Virginia really needs some extra offensive spark. So it will be interesting. You know, it doesn't feel like he's going to go to – Coach Bennett's going to go to, you know, Murray, Milicic, McCorkle, but you know, with the way things have gone, you know, maybe maybe one of those guys does get in the game to kind of see what 
you know, maybe throw a different wrinkle. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting for sure. Moving forward. The defense is already mediocre. It's already a thin margin. I doubt the way the staff approaches it, that Mm -hmm. they're going to sacrifice even more defense for the hope of right offense. I just don't, I just don't see that approach coming. They're going to, and it's not like coach Bennett hides that he openly says, I I think he said after the Georgia tech game, we got to keep trying to tighten the screws defensively kind of clean up the margins i mean he's telling you openly what the the plan is the strategy can we go back to jaden gardner for a minute though he was really stinking good against georgia tech oh yeah acc player of the week (laughs) acc player of the week uh was lighting it up hitting late zone shots took a charge you know saved the ball from going out of bounds like high energy rebounding the ball and if you got like this little string that he's on here is pretty like it's something that needs to be mentioned. So going back to the Notre Dame game, mm-hmm. 22 and 10, next game, 17 and five, next game, 12 and seven, next game, 17 and eight at Duke, 26 and seven. And then last night uh, or Monday night, 17 and 14. That's quite the points rebound stretch from him when Virginia needed to get itself in the conversation. He's, he's arrived. He, he has shown up and made sure that he's getting his job done to get them in the conversation to be, you know, whatever it is, 10th out, 12th out, next four out, whatever. And there are opportunities ahead. Obviously, if they can beat Miami, if they can beat, you know, Duke, if they sweep Duke, that would be a massive resume boost. But yeah, he's been really, really good uh, here as of late in a, in a different way too. Like early in the season, it felt like it was all going to be mid post bully ball. And he's completely morphed into a little bit of that and a whole lot of kind of, kind of work around, kind of float, slide into spaces and make quick decisions. So a quick this, a quick drive and spin out of it, fade away, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So somebody pointed out in the message board, I wish I could remember the username. I can't, but basically said that he went from Anthony Gill to Mike Scott within the same season, (laughs) right? Early Anthony will bang into you, right? Right. Get to the freezer line. Lately it's been move around, find spots, knock this down consistently. It's kind of cool to watch him adapt and do the things this team needs to get in the conversation. So definitely hat tip to him for, for what he's been doing. Yeah. I've, I've been uh, most excited about his defense, but it, you know, his, his offense uh, definitely deserves recognition as well. Uh, and and also just being like a, a high energy guy. I mean, how about the save against Georgia tech diving out of bounds, saving it in. I mean, he's, he's landed. You, you can tell he's laying it all on the line uh for this team and uh yeah it's it's pretty cool and fun to watch so and uh yeah he's becoming become quite a player i know there's some talk about maybe him coming back for another year we'll see i don't know but that yeah i take him back i mean he's a great character great character kid leaves it all on the floor um and this whole team i mean regardless of record uh is for me easy to root for they're all playing their tails off they're uh high character guys um you know they're doing what they can you know obviously unfortunately it's not um you know the the consistency performance wise is not uh not necessarily there but yeah a really easy team to, to 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 pull for and to root for and it would be great to see them being able to be able to put it together and, and pull off a uh uh ncaa tournament run and if they were able to do that, I think certainly Coach Bennett, as far as all of his coaching jobs, would be this would be one of the best. When you guys were talking about Poindexter and Statman coming off the bench, you know, Statman had 19 minutes, Poindexter had 11 in the Georgia Tech game, five points total. 
uh, from Statman. And, you know, no points in the Tech game. Poindexter actually played more minutes than Statman uh, against Tech. So kind of interesting there. To me, you know, you've had a Saturday-Monday. We've had like three of those. I think we got a couple more on the schedule. That Coach Bennett has made, you know, no bones about his displeasure with that arrangement schedule-wise. So for some reason, we ended up with a lot of those this year. And that's tough. I mean, these guys are playing a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. So that part to me, and I get what you're saying, Chris, I, I totally agree that these, the three M's just are basically not going to get in the rest of the year. I mean, it just seems that way. But when you can kind of see your guys are, they just seem to be running out of gas there in some of these second halves. So, you know, when we've got obviously the four big recruits coming in, next year so it's like if if Igor Tain and McCorkle can't get in now <laughs> I don't know how they're going to play it all next year like what is your obviously they're going to improve we've seen a ton of improvement with Kafaro and Chedrick and, and Gardner throughout this year so I, I don't put it past them you know that they're, they're going to improve hopefully they'll play a lot but um, I, I don't know it's it's tough plus it's this is an environment where you know <laughs> Guys, Bar- borrowing leave. trouble, Jeff. You're borrowing I, trouble. I know, man. It's <laughs> right. It's February the fifteenth. Uh, that the day we're recording this is February the fifteenth. This is a April the fifteenth problem. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like, I agree with that too. I so, yeah. Forget, forget. <laughs> I even mentioned it. No, no. I, I just want to throw it out there. Like, I I feel bad that like you have these guys who clearly can play. They have you know their issues, but it's not like, I mean, Poindexter and Statman ain't act, ain't killing it out there either. So you know, like maybe give them a chance to give somebody a little bit of a rest at some point. I, I don't know. That's, that's not the yeah, way it, they it, it all comes down to non-negotiables and mm-hmm. who can they guard? That's going to be the question that, that the Virginia staff starts with and who do you take off the floor? So who are you willing to trade those minutes for Yeah, trading them for 20 minutes of, of, or 25 combined minutes, whatever it is for Statman and Poindexter okay, that seems like a trade that many are willing to make. But it feels like to me they were practicing Murray and Milicic mostly as a gardener sub, meaning small ball, screen, separate, uh, in an effort to create space, like you were saying earlier for Reese Beekman, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So are you willing to trade gardener's minutes for either Milicic or Murray? No. Right? No, no one is going <laughs> right. to make that trade, right? So are you willing to trade McCorkle's minutes for Franklin, Beatman, or Clark, right? Or for Statman or Poindexter. I think, you know, if you want to give them the 10 minutes that you give Poindexter, McCorkle, that is, on the wing, I think, yeah, I could see that trade based on what we've seen on the floor. You know, McCorkle's look decent. He does get burned defensively a lot. There's no way around it. And Malachi slides are better. Yep. Right? So if you're coming at it from a defensive standpoint, then I get it. But I could also see the perspective of, yes, I would trade those minutes. There are plenty of fans, coaches, observers, analysts, right? No matter which box you want to put somebody in, that, yes, they would make that trade, right? So I get that. It's To me, it's more the, would you trade Milicic or Murray minutes for Gardner? The answer is no. Would you trade non-Poindexter? So Statman, Clark, Beekman, Franklin, would you trade any of their minutes for more for, for McCorkle? Or would here's what I think most people would say is I would play those guys at the three all the way back in November, but that's just not a, that's not a context we're working with right now. Right. Based on when, what the usage we've seen of those guys. So 
we can only go by what's available from what we've seen. So based on what we've seen, I don't know that other than McCorkle for maybe Poindexter, and that is a defensive trade-off, yep. maybe for Statman, but you're giving up a lot of size. Size is already an issue for this team. And again, it doesn't feel like Murray Milicic are an option on the wing based on what the staff has shown us on the floor. Are you really willing to trade six, whatever McCorkle for six, eight Statman when you already are undersized in the backcourt? Yeah, right? I'm looking at the minutes here. I wouldn't have guessed Beekman only played 22 minutes against Georgia Tech. You know, he's yeah, foul he's trouble two games in a row there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clark, Clark was in foul trouble against Tech, Virginia Tech, first half. So that's why Point Extra got more minutes. Uh, Franklin, Franklin yeah. had four fouls against Tech, Georgia Tech and still played 35 minutes. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough. The, the Saturday Monday thing is really what got me thinking about in terms of, you know, but you're on a roll. You've been playing well with the, the guys right. you've been out there with. So I can see why he, he stuck with who he stuck with too. Uh, against Virginia Tech so you want to win anything that has a trophy with it you have to be able to play games close together so yeah coaches can complain about it all they want it is perfect practice yeah I think what was UVA 2-0 coming in uh, on on Monday nights coming in yeah they beat Louisville at home and beat Duke on the road yeah I think I think David Teal is the one who asked Tony Bennett what why they've been so successful coming into this game so we can blame David uh, David Teal for that. Ah, that's what that was. The jinx. <laughs> that was the jinx. what happened. That's what exactly what happened. Though. No, but yeah, I mean, I think Chris, I, you did a great job. I think laying it out. Uh, but as far as looking ahead, uh, Jeff, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting for me to see the off season, like what Mike Curtis does working with Murray, because I don't think he's going to be a four down the road. So I think he'll. It'll be interesting to see how they mold him and, and Milicic. And, you know, those guys will have a, you know, obviously they haven't played as much, I'm sure, as, as they wanted to. But practice, you know, they've been in the system, uh, you know, looking looking towards next year. And so that's kind of what I'm what I'm looking at. But as far as this year, yeah, I mean, Murray, the, the bulk of his minutes were coming in for, for Jaden. And you're not going to trade Jaden right now. Yeah, especially considering how well he's playing defense. But I mean, uh, but his offense is offensive production. You can't take you can't take out really. And then, yeah. So uh, now I thought it was a good breakdown there, Chris, as far as the decisions in terms of Mike Curtis, Milicic didn't get here until August. So he has not had Mm -hmm. non just a little bit of preseason time with Mike Curtis in terms of non in season time to to work and build and whatever. And so that's the other question that, that I didn't include in there. Milicic is tall enough to play at the five potentially, but a would you trade Shedrick or Kafaro, who have been playing a lot better, to put him at the five and play small, so like a, a Jay Huff spacer type at the five, so not small size wise, but small uh, floor spacing wise. And was he is he just going to get mauled defensively if you do that? If he's playing the five, is he just going to get run over? So, yeah, based on what, again, the positions that they played versus playing on the wing, which is when everybody says play the three M's, they're saying play them on the wing. Two of the three that the coaching staff has not presented that as an option this season. So kind of is what it is. This team is what it is at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's all about these next, these next four. You got to have at least two to stay anywhere attached where you might make a, a run in the ACC tournament. Three to feel reasonable. Four you start looking, okay, four, 20 wins, two overdue, right? So, yeah, as always, Jeff, who's next? Yeah, Miami's <laughs> the next one. Stop worrying about next all the one other up. stuff. That's it. Yep. <laughs> one game at a time. Well, and, and it's a credit to Franklin, too, guys, in terms of his defensive development, I would say. 
-hmm. you know, even when he's struggling offensively, he's better to have out there uh, on the defensive end because he's come a long way and, and it is tough to, to sub him out, even if, you know, and shooters are going to shoot. He needs to keep shooting and he's a confident guy. So it's just been a, a tough year in terms of the consistency, I guess, and, and what certain guys can be counted on for in, in certain matchups, you know? So we'll, uh, we'll put a bow on this uh, week of, of UVA basketball, the week that was, and we have a little bit of football news up next here on the Saber.com podcast. It's your number one online source as a Virginia fan, the Saber.com. And we are back one final segment here quickly on the, the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman joined by Chris Wright and Chris Horn. And guys, what can you tell us about the, uh, the coordinators we've heard from in terms of UVA football? Tony Elliott recently adding to the staff and everybody's got designations now and we know who's who and a little bit of the background. And uh, those guys uh, were able to speak to the media here recently. Chris Horn, uh, what did we learn? Yeah, I think um, uh, starting off with Coach Kitchings, the Des Kitchings, the offensive coordinator. Um, my takeaway is that the running backs are going to get an opportunity, and I think um, uh, you know, I think looking back to last year, I mean, they were, you know, clearly Virginia was going all in with the the pass, and I think it worked pretty well for sure. <laughs> but as far as um, we also saw, you know, Mike Hollins, Devin Darrington, those guys having some really good plays, and then never heard from him again, really kind of the rest of the game. So um, with the background of this staff, you know, Tony Elliott as the running backs coach, um, uh, Des Kitchings has had uh, experience as a running backs coach. They're, they're excited to see what the running backs are going to be able to do this spring. And, um, and, and I think they're, they're going to give them a chance uh, you know, to, to, to have a more balanced offense. And from what coach Kitchings indicated, is that, you know, that that's going to serve a few purposes, not just, you know, being able to run the football, but also helping the defense in terms of defending the run, which was a problem uh, for UVA this past season. So um, I, I'm looking forward to that. I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing what what Mike Hollins can do if he gets more uh, more touches and things like that. Um, uh, and then, yeah, John Rodzinski, I think, kind of like with Coach Kitchen, I think the, the theme is this spring and they're going to get a chance to really evaluate the roster see what they really need. Um, uh, they're going to, as far as tighten the screws up, kind of like Coach Bennett said, but as far as like uh, emphasize tackling, which was inconsistent last year um, uh, for UVA. So, um, but yeah, just evaluating the team, kind of figuring out what they have, what else they need to kind of address through the transfer portal, uh, looking ahead to next year. And then uh, again, fundamentals was one thing that Coach Rodzinski uh, really emphasize as far as on the defensive side of the ball, tackling, making sure that they make the plays, that they that they get off blocks, that they uh, that they get to the ball, that they make the tackle, uh, make the play uh, before you kind of move on uh, to to the schematic work and things like that. So, going to be an important spring football. Uh, it sounds like for sure. The big thing for me was it doesn't sound like they're going to scrap heap everything meaning coach Kitchings who went first in the week and coach Elliott earlier talked a little bit about, you know, marrying things together, finding language that's common, finding bits and pieces of things. For example, that Brennan Armstrong likes is comfortable with and how does that meld with 
what coach Elliott likes in terms of an H back or a spread two two back spread or whatever, right? Like whatever it ends up being, it doesn't feel like some situations where a new coaching staff comes in and goes, we're doing none of that. This is what we're doing, right? It seems like they're willing to not scrap heap it to kind of blend and merge and, and do different things that can be dangerous, right? You end up with a hodgepodge of stuff versus a identity, but if done right, it can, it can have benefits for that first year versus having to kind of slug through the first year. You know, so it's a tightrope they're going to have to walk. Same thing on defense, right? So yes, uh, three, four base, but you know, that in college football or really football in general, the base doesn't really mean a whole lot anymore because how often are you in your base because the offense is doing such crazy things. Yeah. But, you know, like he, he basically said, uh, Coach Rodzinski said, we need to get a look at the personnel to have a feel for how we might use different guys. So I asked a question about big egg, edge rushers, for example, like a Mike Perry or a Chico Bennett or, or whatever. How do you use those guys? Are they going to be standing up sometimes? They're going to look like five man front sometimes. And he was like, yo, man, um, I haven't even seen these guys on the field yet. <laughs> um, but no, we're not going to completely scrap it, right? Like some of the stuff they were doing will probably fit. And then it comes down to fundamentals. He talked a lot about fundamentals and that Nick Jackson has, has looked really good in workouts, um, the way he attacks things, the way he leads, that sort of thing. Uh, so he likes the the base that he's coming from, Nick Jackson. But yeah, it sounds like maybe not a scrap heap, more of a let's see what we've got this spring, figure out how to fit the best parts of that into what our overall long-term vision is so that we don't throw away this year with a guy like Brennan Armstrong uh, with the guys outside receivers wise with a guy like Nick Jackson, it doesn't sound like they want to start completely over, like, which makes sense. They're not inheriting a complete dumpster of a program either. Right. Even right. though the last two years with coachman and all have been 500 football, it's not like it's been, you know, two and 10 football. Right. So it makes sense to try to blend it uh, and hit the ground running versus starting from scratch. Well, kind of a cool uh, Green Bay connection, too, up there in Wisconsin with Coach Rudd, right? Is that what they're calling him for short? Rudzinski? I don't know. Does he have a nickname yet? <laughs> I don't know. It's always initials on the board. So it's probably CJR, I guess. I don't know, whatever. Um, that stuff drives me crazy, but fan's going to fan, right? Yeah. The, yeah, Rudzinski grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, graduated from a, a, a Notre Dame prep academy there in 2001, I believe it was. No, just Notre Dame Academy. It doesn't have prep in the title, but um you know if he graduated in 2001 at around 18 years old you subtract eight to ten years right so back to 1991 to 1993 1995 somewhere through there well the head coach around then dick bennett wisconsin green bay with this young lefty a lot of guts could flat out shoot it uh tony bennett obviously playing guard for that team and they made the tournament so you know they the, the bennett name in wisconsin is is the the gold, golden child, gold name. And Rudzinski, Rudzinski said he was very familiar with, with them and their background. Didn't know them personally, but just what they meant to that area growing up there was really obvious. <laughs> so that was kind of a cool connection. Very cool. Well, I promised some stats, guys, in terms of free throws. I think we have time for uh, last five years. I, I almost disproved my conspiracy theory here in the process of actually looking at the data. Imagine that, Chris. But uh, <laughs> so the, the free throw attempts were 21 to 12 this time in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech, won that battle, won the game, 
Uh, JPJ it was 16 to three. Who's who's won the game last year in Blacksburg? They won the free throw attempt battle 14 to four. And of course, the uh, the Hokies won that matchup last year. But if you go back the previous years, it's a lot of UVA wins there and uh, some big wins uh, by 22, by 26, by 24. And so, you know, free throw stats, you can kind of throw them out in those type of games, I feel like. But if, it, you know, if you look back at the last nine matchups, the team that won the free throw battle had more attempts is actually four and five. So uh, there you go. <laughs> that's that's the out of the week. But uh, enjoy, everybody. And uh, go who's, as always, like, subscribe, follow. And uh, thanks for listening to the Saber.com podcast.